0: That's N A T I O N 3 0 for 30% off of your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? We got a major precipitation event coming through Iowa as we speak right now. I'm recording this little intro on midday Thursday, and uh, my wife was like, hey, can you do this on Friday with us? And I'm like, I'm sorry, the answer is going to be no. Um, I'm already, you've already made plans for me for Saturday, you've already made plans for me for Sunday. And uh, so the answer is going to be no. I'm not going to do a fourth or third trick-or-treating thing. I am going into the woods. And why am I so excited about Friday, uh, this Friday's hunt, is it's going to rain for the next, let me see, at least, shit, uh, up until 11 o'clock. That's what the the forecast is saying. It's going to rain until 11 o'clock on Friday. And... I'm going to be in the woods pr- not too long after that. My goal is to get all my work done Friday morning, get the kids going and doing. I'm going to work out. I'm going to come home. I'm going to do a little work. I'm going to shower, and then I'm going to go into the woods, and I'm going in deep. We have a north wind, and, man, I'm looking forward to hunting this spot. Uh, I, If you follow along on Instagram, I've... Uh, I'm hunting it in a farm that is just thick and nasty and horrible to, to walk through. So um, you got to be very careful like going in. But once you get up in a tree, man, and you can get in the right spot, the wind does exactly what you want it to. Uh, the deer have no clue that you're there if you put yourself in the right position. And, oh, man, it is gorgeous in there. And I'm getting physically aroused just thinking about it. So uh, that's that's the goal. North wind, Friday night. I'm moving into a spot where there could be some action. So uh, who knows? I'm chasing a big 10-pointer that's uh, living out there. Maybe he's there. Maybe he's not. I have a theory that he is betting on a, on a neighboring property and then walking across, uh, this, this property to get to the, the property that I have access to cornfield. Maybe, maybe he's there. Maybe he's not. I haven't had a trail camera picture of him for a while. So who knows? Maybe he shifted. Maybe he's on another farm, but I have a, I have a gut feeling he's going to be coming back, um, at some point because last year, Around this time, I was driving around the section and I saw a big ten-pointer um, on the neighboring farm where I think he's bedded. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen. We will see. That's the goal, anyway. Now today we we've had this guy on before. His name's Josh Dolkey. He works for Hunt Stand, and a lot of us are using our uh, our digital maps, specifically Hunt Stand, on a regular basis. But for me, in the past, what I've done is I've put it down and I'll, I just maybe look at it for access routes, but there's a whole bunch of thing, you know other things that we should be doing right now documenting how to how to uh, play the wind on uh, our digital mapping uh, you know services whatever whatever it is so not only is this a general conversation about how to use a digital map insert in season but also um, you know specific hunt stand stuff as well so um, and I think this is something that I wanted to discuss now right before we get into the heat of the rut so that's what today's episode is about Hopefully, everybody uh, is, is planning on getting out into the timber, whether you live in Alabama, whether you live in Maine, whether you live in North and South Dakota, whatever. It's time to get out in the woods, you know, make sure all your shit is taken care of at home and then get out and hunt as hard as possible the next three weeks. You know, plan your time, plan your access, plan, you know, the wind directions, because right now is when you don't want to make any mistakes. No mistakes at all. And if you do fail, let's say you get busted, have a backup plan. And then potentially have a backup plan for that backup plan. Uh, don't be afraid to get mobile. All the stuff you've already heard throughout the entire year on this podcast and all the all of the other podcasts that are out there. So, But before we get into today's episode, we're going to talk about Wasp Archery. Wasp Archery at wasparchery.com. Uh, so recently in South Dakota, I um, had a quartering two shot. I let it. Uh, I let the arrow go, and it hit just a hair back from where I was aiming, and so I, I hit liver, uh, you know, guts, uh, and it came out the back ham. Marginal shot, right? Now we've all heard the term. Oh, dude, if you you could if you put a field point in the right spot, it's going to kill a deer. That's great, but I don't want a field point worth of damage. I want a shit ton of damage, uh, and that's what my wasp jackhammer did when it went through like. 24 plus 30 inches if you were going to measure it the wound channel is probably 30 inches long and it went out the back end so you take an awesome broadhead like wasp and you match it with a heavy duty arrow a really good solid arrow you're going to get a shit ton of penetration and a shit ton of damage and we had no problem finding this deer um Following the blood trail. So, uh, wasparchery.com, go check out their lineup of fixed blade and uh, mechanical broadheads. If you're a fixed blade guy, uh, my experience goes with a a boss four blade. And if you are a mechanical guy, I've killed more deer with a jackhammer than any other uh, broadhead that's out there plus 10. So, uh, if you want to save 20%, enter the discount code. And this is a long one nine, the number nine fingers 2021 9 fingers 2021 and that's going to save you 20%. Next, Vortex Optics, title sponsor of the show. You've heard me talk a lot about uh, these guys and what they do, not only giving back to their end users, right, but also just the quality of optics that they make. I I had my optics out in South Dakota in nebraska the entire time i'm dragging them through mud i'm uh beating the shit out of them pull them up crystal clear like it's awesome when you don't you know you know how uh, uh you you know how you know if a product is working you're not thinking about that product during the hunt at all it's just functioning flawlessly like it's supposed to and that's what happens with uh, With Vortex Optics and anything that I've used, whether it's their spotter, whether it's their rangefinder, whether it's their uh, binoculars. So go to VortexOptics.com, check out their full lineup of rifle scopes, spotting scopes range finders binoculars they have a whole bunch of stuff there. uh uh, great people great customer service and they have a kick-ass warranty so uh and then lastly is hunt stand and dude that's this whole podcast today is about uh mobile or uh, excuse me digital mapping um and how we can use the these functionalities throughout uh the season as well as throughout the off season as well so In-season scouting, we're going to talk a lot about that today. Um, What I'm going to recommend is going to HuntStand.com. That is the website, okay? Everything you want to know about HuntStand is on there. Uh, I could sit here and talk about all the functionality. It has more functionality than any other um, hunting map app out there. It has more features, features. more functionality. It, it's for a much more affordable price. than It's like a, I want to say a hundred dollars less a year than it is for any other uh, mapping, you know, map mapping app that's out there, hunting app that's out there. Uh, so go, just go to huntstand.com. Read it, read up on it, and then if you do want to um, make a purchase, I can get you twenty. If you want to purchase it for a year, I can get you twenty percent off with the discount code. Very simple. S N20. SN20. And that gets you 20% off. So there are the there's the commercials. Good luck, guys. Honestly, please be safe. Good luck in the upcoming um in the upcoming weeks. Hunt hard. Be safe. And let's get into today's episode. Three, two, one one all right on the phone with me today from hunt stand once again mr josh Dalkey. josh how we doing man
1: doing well dan how are you oh
0: i got the itch i got the itch i don't know about you but i am uh, i've only been out hunting uh tree stand hunting one time this whole year i'm hoping that picks up in the next two weeks and uh, i'm starting to get that itch that we all get this time of year to just get outside and spend as much time as in the tree stand as possible
1: I was going to say, yeah, I'm surprised you said you, well, I guess I'm not surprised you said you got the itch, but uh, I sort of am because I know you scratched it recently in South Dakota, right?
0: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I, I walked out of South Dakota with a, a whitetail buck, first out-of-state deer ever. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I, This is this is the crazy part. I don't know how I would approach that other than printed maps right? Other than buying a printed map or some kind of plat book that has uh, public land posted on it. I don't know how I would approach that portion of it, you know, because bringing up my hunt stand on, or, you know, or people who bring up their digital maps on their phones, they just, it's so easy now. It's like, I can't imagine taking a, a backward step and not using that kind of, uh, that kind of software and that kind of uh, uh, technology.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing anybody was able to to get anything done, especially right. for big game hunting. It's a little bit different with pheasant hunting, a little easier access if you're talking about South Dakota, but yeah, for for going after deer and strategizing and figuring out access and all that and I actually heard that I think uh last week supposedly the South Dakota system went down for a couple of days, so people were really relying upon stuff like hunt stand to be able to still Yeah see those boundaries and whatnot
0: absolutely absolutely and uh, so I'm a huge fan of that kind of uh, kind of technology and you know I, I don't see myself going backwards ever any any time at all so um, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about how to use digital mapping um, this time of year we're in that pre-rut time frame we're in that uh, the rut is just around the corner and it's going to get crazy and um, I think there's several benefits that we'll touch on in this, uh, in this episode, but before we get into all the meat and potatoes, um, have you been out in the woods at all? Have you been, uh, uh, getting in your tree stand time?
1: I have, man, I've, I've been getting after it pretty hard. Actually. Um, I hunted a couple days at the end of September in Wisconsin. Uh, I've got a lease over there with my friend, Alex Robinson, who's the editor of outdoor life. And, uh, <laughs> Kind of a crazy deal, man. Long story short, it was 80-some degrees. Uh, I just really wanted to get some time in the tree stand. I was having kind of a stressful week, but I didn't really expect to see anything. And the farmer, right before we went out to our stands, was like, hey, I'm going to be out uh, chopping a couple of laps of corn. Is that going to bother you guys at all? And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, <laughs> Duh. yeah, it is going to bother me. <laughs> You're going to be right you're going to be 60 yards from my stand running that thing. Well said, no, no, no big deal. Do what you got to do. And I, I just said, whatever. So went out there, hunted the stand, which is in a staging area. It's probably about a hundred yards from the fringe of, of a real prominent bedding area on the property in a swamp. And it's just a great spot. It's easy to get into if you got a South wind and there's just the deer come from several different directions, but primarily out of that swamp. So, um, when the wind is right, I really like to sit there. That's where I killed my early season buck last year as well. So I get in there, climb up in my stand. I'm just sweating my ass off. Cause it was so hot. I was hardly wearing any clothes, but it was just, it was 80, 83 degrees or something like that. I climb up, get settled in my stand. He starts coming by with the, the chopper chopping corn, but What I had seen on the walk in there, the, the entrance path that I used, um, I had to do kind of a wide circle so that I wouldn't blow those woods at all on my way in. And so I, I use the hunt zone wind map and hunt stand all the time for my entry and exit routes. Um, just, it's just, it's just imperative. So I checked that, saw that I had to do a wide circle. Well, that wide circle forced me to walk through some of that standing corn to get in and after I got past the first probably five rows, it opened up, and it was like somebody had dropped a bomb in there. The deer were just decimating that corn. Um, not the outer rows, but they were going in about five rows where you couldn't even see from the outside, and then yep. the inside was just destroyed. So I was like, okay, this is good. They've been in here. Um, I saw what I think was was some clumps of uh, buck, scat, and uh, – Just was like, all right, well, they're in the area, which I already knew they were anyways, but it's always good to see something with, with all that fresh sign. And, um, sure enough, he was coming around after, uh, he had done two laps. He said the most he was going to do was two. Well, then I heard him coming back for a third lap. And, uh, at that point it was getting late enough where I figured, well, my window of opportunity to see anything is is pretty much going to be gone by the time he leaves with the tractor. Well, he was still making his way over to me with the tractor and he was just, cause he, what he was doing was he was just going and, and uh, dumping the corn in some uh, bins that he had. And then he was, so he would take a lap, go dump the corn and then come back while he's coming back for that third lap.
0: Isn't it crazy how a combine can just kind of go in a circle? dude? I have literally watched combines come within 30 yards of a deer specifically a buck sitting on the opposite side of a fence row and they don't even move. They just, they sit there like nothing's up. They're aware of it when it starts to combine the corn, but when it gets close, it gets close. You would think, Oh man, they're splitting. Nope. They, I've seen them sit right there chewing their cud, not even move, even like, even with their eyes closed. So, um, (laughs) and and then we go tiptoeing through the woods and then they pick us off like, like it's nothing.
1: Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, man. Yeah. I mean, I love hunting a field at right after it's been combined or chopped or anything. Um, but this is my first time where I've had to sit there and and watch the tractor actually go by. And I, I'd heard that from people before. I, I mean, I know that they're definitely attracted to it right after. Yeah, it's it cut or harvested. But man, to have him to have him come blazing through in between this guy doing laps, I was just like yeah i i was i was not in, i was not even expecting to see a deer that night let alone a deer that i wanted to shoot let alone uh you know yeah just as I'm, as I'm sitting there zoning out thinking about a million other things
0: yeah i get it man i uh it blows my mind uh sometimes you know where they're at or what they do throughout the uh you know, throughout the season where like, man, why is a deer standing right there? Or why is, uh, especially when I would go out West and I would see mule deer bedded in the ditches along the roads. And I'm just like, uh, guys, you know, that's not the safest place, but yet that's where they, that's where they were bedded. And, uh, I guess for some reason they feel comfortable there.
1: Yeah. They, they just know, they know yep, the they difference know. between real threats and, and just, inert activities
0: yep absolutely all right digital mapping um this time of year i think what happens is a lot of people they, they do their digital scouting they you know they're on their phone or they're on their computer they're looking f- they're looking at topo lines they're hypothesizing what happens when wind comes into an area and um you know how the terrain is going to affect that maybe they even go a level deeper and they say well how is the wind here going to change once the vegetation is off the leaves like how how do thermals come into play um they you know they do all this scouting like here here's a good access route for this ridge or for for this pinch point or or whatever right then it becomes um then it becomes the season, right? And we've already thought about these things so many times, our, our digital map. Other than when we're trying to make adjustments, like I, I have mine out all the time, right? So I'm on a hunt stand and even in the wind or in the, in the stand, I'm looking at the topo lines and I'm going, okay, uh, you know, they could be coming from here. If I see them come from here, you know, I'm always playing around. I'm always um, playing that game of what if right? Trying to identify new spots, new access routes and things like that. But a lot of people will just kind of forget about it and they've already either hung their stands or they've already done that scouting and then they don't pull it out uh, the rest of the season or they don't pull it out um, to do uh, you know, to, to, to use that functionality in season. So I just want to pass it to you. And as you know, whether this is something that you do yourself or you've heard of some of the people who use hunt stand, uh, or, you know, whatever digital mapping these guys use, um, what seems to be a good method of how to use a digital map like hunt stand in season as you're going through your process of locating a deer or a big buck?
1: Well, I can give you a, I can give you a real-time example because I am actually sitting in central Minnesota right now in a cabin where I've been hunting since Saturday, Um, and I will hunt until Friday. So a total of six days. It's raining right now as we speak. I'm going to go sit out in the rain tonight, probably against my better judgment. But um, (laughs) I really think things are about to kick off right here right now. And uh, when I say kick off, I mean there's definitely a lot of pre-route activity going on. Um, Saturday night, I saw a mature buck out uh, an hour before before the end of shooting light, and he wasn't just on a fringe, and he wasn't in the woods. He was out in a hayfield, dog and doze, and lip curling, and grunting. Probably, oh, he was he was about 150 to 200 yards from the nearest escape route into the woods. I mean, he was just out in the open, yeah. and I uh, seen a lot of younger bucks doing that as well. I went for a drive yesterday evening around two sections. I saw 150 deer, and that's not an exaggeration. If anything, that's conservative. Um, Our density up here right now is way too high. Um, I saw one three-year-old buck that was sniffing some tail. The rest were all um, younger bucks and does and fawns. But uh, bottom line is things are... Things are on the cusp of breaking loose here right now. And with this weather front that we have, we've got, yesterday it was super windy in the evening. So activity was a little bit less, I think, than it normally would have been. And then today it's raining all day. And then it clears out uh, probably about three, four in the morning um, going into tomorrow, which is Thursday. And just the way that these deer have been acting, um, I think... I think that there's going to be a few hot does starting to run around beginning tomorrow. I could be completely wrong. My hypothesis could be a joke, but either way, I think some more mature bucks are going to be cruising after this rain. Um, They're going to be hunkered down a little bit more today, and I think they're going to be out there. So as that relates to using hunt stand and strategy, um, my biggest thing is just you know, going off the MRI concept, most recent information, I'm not just trying to consider patterns that I saw a week or two ago or images that I have trail camera images from a week or two ago or earlier in the season. Um, I'm trying to go off the patterns that I see right now on the fly. And then that's where your preparation can come in. So what I mean by preparation is do you have stands set up or do you have likely setups identified for different wind directions on all the different key parts of a property that you're hunting. Um, In this case here, even though it's my family's farm, I don't get to get up here as often as I would like. I didn't get up here to do much during the preseason, So we've got what we've got when it comes to stands and I brought some extras with me just to do hanging hunts based on what's going on with the conditions. Now, a great example is um, Saturday evening, I got out there. I saw all these deer filter out of this point of timber um coming out of a very identifiable bedding area. Super thick, lots of willows, uh swampy, which there hasn't been a lot of water up here so um it's it's tall grass that they're able to lay in without having to lay in standing water. And then it kind of starts to open up a little bit gradually as you come to this point of timber where there's still plenty of security, but it's, it's really your quintessential staging area where they can hang out and screw around before they go out to the fields. And if they want to go out before dark, they can, uh, if they feel comfortable. But um, I saw that big buck and all of those does filter out of that point of timber coming out of that bedding area through that staging area on Saturday night. And so Sunday night, I went in there real early Um, well, I say real early, probably about four hours before sunset, I took my time. I got in there. It's somewhere that I haven't stepped foot in since I was a teenager. So I didn't know exactly what was going on in there. And, uh, before I started on that path, you know, I looked at hunt stand. I looked at the map of how everything laid out. And of of course I looked at the wind map just to see precisely throughout my entire approach, where my scent was going to be affecting. And, um, you know, part of what you need to do when you're, when you're considering that for, uh, you know, entrance and exit routes is a lot of times you have to make a con- conscious decision about what areas you are willing to blow out. Because as you know, I just talked about to...
0: this by the way, on another, on another episode, uh, where <laughs> <Did> we, <you? laughs> we talk about, Hey man, sometimes you got to blow an area out to get to an even better area
1: you do you do i mean it's just how often is there a scenario where it's like okay the deer are just right here and here's how i can get in to hunt them it's no there's deer scattered all over the place and even if you think you know you probably don't know and especially with up here where i'm at the deer density is so high i mean it doesn't matter the temperature or the weather conditions or anything time of day if I were to go take a drive at any time of the day, I'm going to be able to see deer. That's how many there are, um, you know, in, in areas with lower deer densities, you can't, you can't always say that you go out for a drive in the middle of the day and it's 80 degrees. You're, you're not going to see anything up here. You will, you, you drive around one section, you're going to see a deer out feeding somewhere. That's an indication of, of how high that density is. Yeah. And so when I go into a spot, I'm not just thinking about okay. I, I think this buck or whatever is, is betting in, in this area. How can I sneak in so that it, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lay down a bad entrance trail? Um, what's my What's my time period gonna look like while I'm in the stand from where my scent is gonna blow? And then how am I gonna get out of there based on where I think he's gonna travel? I don't want him to end up downwind to me at all. Well, as I'm considering that, um, undoubtedly, I'm gonna have to say, all right. Well. You know, there's going to be a bunch of deer that are going to be downwind to me when I go in here. Um, I'm going to have to sacrifice those, but where do I think they're going to run? Yeah, that's a whole other consideration. Yeah, um, which all you can do is make your best guess. But if you if you observe enough deer activity over time on a given property, mm-hmm. man, a lot of times they just they do the same thing when you bump them in a certain spot. They usually do the same thing to get out of there if you see yeah. like, even if it's a different deer different generation of deer it's like it's a learned habit or a, a learned uh you know like security trait yeah so you just do your best to, to try to get in there so when i went and did that hang and hunt on sunday evening um as soon as i got in there there were beds all over the place which i expected because it's it's uh i think a lot of them are are like um like middle of the night type beds, you know, where the deer will go out, they'll feed, they'll go lay on the field edge and some grass or something. And then they'll get up and feed again. And they'll do that throughout the night. And then eventually they'll go back into deeper cover before it's daylight. Um, I assumed there were those types of, uh, kind of middle of the night beds. Well, I got everything set up in there. Uh, I felt like I felt good. I didn't, I didn't notice that I'd bumped anything or I, I felt like I got in there pretty cleanly. And, uh, Forty five minutes after I got set up, I had a two and a half year old buck come making his way and he he, he did exactly you know, you, you 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 get a setup rolling and you have an you know, you have you have an idea of where you want those deer to go, where you want them to to read that script per se, and you know, you have an idea of what you hope they'll do. And then there's always that first deer that comes out, and it's kind of like, all right, am I going to pass the test, you know? Right, right. And he was the first one to come out. Yeah. Sometimes it's a doe, sometimes it's a fawn, but you, you kind of just wait for that first one. You, you never think it's going to be the deer that you're going after, but it's going to be a deer. Yeah. And if you if you can make it with them, then you have a, you you feel pretty good that you're going to be able to, to pass the test with any of them. Yeah. So he came through. He went exactly on the trail that I hoped he would. And then he bedded down behind me at about 25 yards. And I come to think about it. And I'm at this point, I'm, I'm pretty sure that when I went in there to go set that stand, he was laying in there. I bumped him, you know, a a lot of guys who do like the bump and hunt types type strategy. I think that's what I did inadvertently. And, uh, it just happened to be a, a two and a half year old. So maybe he was more willing to, to put up with it or whatever. But, um, yeah. The reason I go to great lengths to, to lay out that scenario is because that's that's the strategy and that's how you can employ hunt stand is is during those real time situations where you're taking your observations and then you're going in to strike. Yep. It's extremely tempting to fall into that trap of you know, you, you sit there all week before a hunt and you, you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to go sit this one stand that I have for a south wind because there's going to be a south wind. And you feel good about it. And that's what you obsess over in the days leading up to the hunt. And then you get there and you're like, I got to go sit that stand. Well, should you go sit that stand? If you just if you just identified some other thing with, with your own eyes, then you need to, you need to jump on opportunities as they present themselves. You can't just go in cause you have a good feeling about something. If you are, if you have other data that suggests you should be somewhere else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. And kind of going back to that, um, that bump and dump, you know, the bump and dump type strategy is, uh, is awesome because you can be it's a gray area. It's a gray strategy meaning it's not you, you don't literally have to bump a buck out of their bed in order for it to work. Um one thing that I've done in the past when I know a deer is coming uh is coming from a certain area to uh let's just say a food source in the afternoon and the wind is blowing into the timber so if they have if i think i know where these deer are bedded and uh, the wind is coming from the food source straight down into the drainage or into where they're bedded um, typically a guy would try to get in there and have a quartering wind at some at some point what I've done in the past, and I don't do this all the time, it's kind of a risky deal. But I might even park my truck up at that food source, and I'll get ready, and maybe I'll make some noise, like shut the tailgate, and then I'll walk that field edge along the along the food source with my scent blowing right down into where I think they're bedded. Now it's not um, it's not a, a one of those scenarios where it's really close. I mean, we're talking hundreds of yards away. And so they can hear me. They know I'm there. They've potentially smelled me. And because of that, they're not going to work their way back up into that food source. They might go to a, a same food source, just loop around. But what I'll do is I'll find that bedding area and then I'll go and backdoor it. And a lot of times these deer will head away from where they smelled that danger And they'll head right by me down a different terrain feature or a pinch point or, or whatever. And then they'll, they'll, they'll go right by me. Now that's, that's high level and it it doesn't work every single time because they could exit any way, you know, a variety of different ways. But there are times where it does work and, um, I've had it happen before, um, and it, I don't know, it's just something to think about. And, and why do I, how do how have I done that? By looking on a map and saying, okay, my wind's going to go right to them. I'm going to, I'm going to, I guess you would say mentally bump them, not physically bump them, but mentally, like they've caught my scent. They've heard me up there and they're not going to want to come up there. So I don't know. It's something, it's something that I've, I've tried before. Uh, it's only worked once, but I've tried it probably 50 times.
1: Dude, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I do the same thing. And uh, I I don't – it is a little bit more uh, advanced, if you will. I don't think a lot of people consider that, but I, yeah. I think it's very important to consider. Um, and like when you go back to the mapping aspect, you, you cannot take for granted uh, – I mean these these deer will smell you – a great distance away right. and I think we talked about this on a previous podcast but every deer's kind of threat radius or threat bubble is yep. is different especially depending on where they live you know if you got deer that live in your backyard in suburbia you could probably walk right up to the edge of the woods and they might be in there 10 yards and they'll stand there but as soon as you step foot across that line they're like all right I'm not comfortable with that yeah um, some of the deer that like where I'm hunting, for instance, or, or like where most people hunt, you know, you do that deal. You get out of your truck and you have to you have to visualize, OK, when I go park my truck and I go throw the rest of my gear on and grab my boots and all that kind of stuff. um, From that very moment that you step foot on that property, how is your scent impacting it? Yeah. I mean, from that very moment. And that again, that comes down to choosing to making sacrifices and in be, being willing to compromise certain areas so that you can benefit yourself to get into other areas that are of higher priority. Yeah. So absolutely. Uh, I think it all matters. Those those deer if they're if they're a, uh, you know, 100 to 200 yards in or something like that, are they just taking off and blazing out of there? Well, depending on the individual deer, perhaps, but I think most of the time they just they lift their nose into the air. They say, uh-huh. Okay. Well, I'm not going that way tonight.
0: Right. Right.
1: Well, why would they? Yeah. So, um, that actually relates directly to something that happened to me the other night. Uh, I was, my uncle was hunting up here with me and, um, he hunted Saturday and Sunday and he sat the same stand all four times. Um, he just, he just kind of likes to sit in a spot, and uh, while I don't agree with it, I mean, he's been successful over the years and, um, you know, it can work, but uh, he, he just does his deal. And then so I, I, I use that to my advantage. I say, okay, where are you going to be hunting? How are you going to get in there? How are you going to get out of there? And then I take that into account for my setup, even if it's going to be on the, the other side of the property. And With this place, it's like 120 acres. so the impact of of one person moving around in there on one end can actually affect the other end. Yeah. And so when we were were going in there the other night, I forgot something at my truck, and uh, he was like, hey, um, I'm just going to proceed and get in there. And, uh, you know, he wasn't going to wait for me. Normally we'll go to a certain point, and then we'll split off from each other. And I was like, all right. Well, in my head I was kind of bummed because I like to ideally where I was going to go I like to get there and be in position before he proceeds on the rest of his track to get to his stand because there's a reasonable likelihood that he's going to bump some deer my way, Uh, basically a drive, you know? So if you're, that's just, that's just another little tidbit to pick up when you're thinking about your, your scent impact. If you're hunting with a buddy, you know, you each need to consider respectively, how you are impacting each other's hunt absolutely
0: absolutely and the cool thing about that is is you can use another hunter that may not be your buddy Uh, dude i've learned this the hard way so many times right when especially when you're hunting uh, let's say you get access to a property the landowner says hey there's other guys here you know just make sure you respect uh, them they've been here a while and then you learn that maybe some of these guys they sit in the same tree stand over and over and over again because five years ago they saw a big buck or he walked by or whatever. The deer become aware of that and then they flank their positions through other terrain features or maybe not even using a terrain feature. They're just skirting that area because they know there's danger down there. Well, um, on one specific farm that I hunt, I've capitalized on that. And I look at, oh, this is where I... Um, I, I'm not the guy who ter- uh, who came up with this term, but it's called a spur ridge. And uh, there are times when you can look at a, a top a topo map. Depending how far um, apart the topo lines are, you may or you may not be able to see the spur ridge because it's so subtle. In the it's basically just a low point coming off of a, a main ridge or uh, a secondary ridge coming off of a main ridge, and the deer use it all the time, and it—you it, might not be able to see it on digital scouting, but there's there's indicators on the um, on topo lines that may suggest that hey, there there could be a spur ridge here, and then you go and you scout and you, you identify it. But a lot of them, instead of using the main ridge, because off off of this main ridge is one of these guys who's been sitting in the same stand for you know 20 years. Now they start using this spur ridge and that's where I've started to set up and that's where I've been having a ton of encounters over the years because I'm flanking their position and I'm not hunting that spot over and over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's the thing, man. Whether you're hunting public or private, every, every single body in the woods has an impact. And um, up here, just another immediately relevant example my great uncle who owns this property that I've been focusing most of my attention on um for whatever reason he's he's about 83 I believe and he's never let anybody else on outside of the family well starting last year he let this he let another guy start to hunt um supposedly for does he's only supposed to be hunting does I won't get into my thoughts about what's going on there You don't you don't go put out a shadow hunter um, tower blind at one of the most prominent rut funnels to go shoot a few does when we've got 100 hundreds on the property. Um, but uh, anyhow, I know I know where that guy put that tower stand. I know where his tire tracks are, and I know where he's got a hang on stand. And so, my very first consideration when coming up here to hunt is where has that guy been and where can I go where he has not been? Exactly. Because exactly. I, I think people have a tendency to, to think a little bit, uh, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but a little bit too literally or exaggeratively about some things with deer movements. Like if you've got like, there's a, there's a particular deer, that one that I saw on Saturday that I'm hoping to see again. That um, that deer, he knows that there's human impact in the area. He knows that my uncle sat that stand four times Saturday and Sunday. I I just know he does because he's in that neighborhood. He's in that little, he's in that block of timber somewhere. He's there, but he didn't leave the County. He didn't leave the section. He didn't even leave that block of timber. He's still staying there. I I think people are like, Oh yep. I bumped this this mature deer or whatever, and, and he's gone. We'll never see him again. He, he's not even here anymore. anymore. Right. He's just, he left the property. Right. Well, most of the time, I don't think that's the case, man. I, they just find other, other ways to get around. Yeah. And literally they just, they, they, they go downwind of where they maybe saw a human impact before they stand there at 200 yards. They put their head in the air. Oh, so, seems like that guy's been there again. Yeah. I guess I'm going to go around this other way
0: tonight. And they are then maybe three days. Yeah. And they are the most patient animal I've ever seen. They will sit there without moving a muscle for 20, 30, 40 minutes, just waiting to pick you off. Like that's, that could, because their life depends on it. It doesn't for us. So more than likely we're going to move, we're going to do something stupid and get busted before they do. And, uh. Man, I, I wish I had that kind of patience in my life. I'd be a better, I'd be a better father, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> oh, if I had that patience, I feel like I could take over the world. Oh, exactly. Scatterbrain.
0: exactly, exactly. So that's one aspect, right? Um, now, whether it's in season or knowledge gained to approach different seasons, like the next season down the road, um, what are your thoughts on the journaling? Or the um, like dropping pins and, and and basically creating a journal of everything that you see uh, on the properties that you hunt.
1: I think it's I think it's very helpful and important if you're willing to commit to the long haul. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna go out and early you know hunt some early season deer in September and you see one one buck that catches your eye and you drop a pin because you saw that buck and then you don't log anything else for the rest of the season, you're not going to go into the next season and be like, oh, I saw one there one time, Yeah, one occurrence under one set of conditions. Um, I'm going to go hunt that area because there might be another one that does that. That's that's not how you got to look at it. You got to look at all the deer and all the activity and all the sightings, both visual and with your trail cameras, to even begin to put together a puzzle right. and – the thing is, you can you'll tell yourself, oh, "I'll remember that, I'll remember that, I'll remember that." Well, if you start keeping data over a long period of time, it's it's a comprehensive strategy, and you'll start to realize things that you would not have realized based off of whatever these individual observations are that you think you remember all of them. Like, right. you're never going to remember all that. You're just not. So, it's not even just. Uh, hey, I saw a deer right here. I'm gonna drop a pin where I saw it. Well, when you drop the pin, make a note. What direction did it come from?
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, with Hunt Stand, you know, it'll it'll already um, when you save those observations or sightings, as we have it labeled in the app, it'll capture all the weather conditions from yeah. that sighting. Yeah. So you know it, it won't tell you what direction your deer came from you got to put that in there but it will tell you everything else that was going on with the yeah. weather and the moon and all that stuff so um as you start to put all of these pieces together over the long term it will definitely help but again if, if you're just going to drop a random pin here and there it's really not going to do much for you
0: right yeah and i think uh that's definitely something because even even when i um, and walking into the woods i don't mark every single rub or every single scrape that i find but the benefit even even short term in this season if, if you start to hunt and you can start to see places that deer are but here is the kicker on that the most and what is just as equally important is where deer do not move right so when you're when yes. you when you are yes. wa- when you're walking into the timber let's say say you're a mobile hunter or even uh, the following year, you're looking to set a, a different tree stand up, you know that based off of all the data that you've gathered, the deer are not here in a certain area. So don't waste your time there. Don't waste your time. And and, and granted, the rut can, uh, the chaos of the rut can make deer do crazy things. But for the most part, deer movement stays the same throughout all of these, you know, through throughout all the years, especially on terrain. Um Now that may change when it, let's say they go in and they log it or one thing that I've noticed um, here, and I don't know if you guys got this two years ago. I think that line of storms did go into Minnesota, but we had a derecho uh, come through Iowa and it destroyed timbers. I mean, trees are down and, and deer are having to walk around these dead, this deadfall in, in, in different places. So that that's a little bit, but for the most part, the deer movement is you know, like still, they're not skylining themselves. Still, they're not walking clear at the bottoms, clear. They're not walking. You know, it's, it's easy to know that they're not walking, um, at the very top. So you can still document all that by dropping, you know, sightings and pins and, 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 uh, drop, you know, scrapes here, uh, rubs here. And then all, you know, over the years, you start to see, let's just say multiple red lines um, throughout your property. And Hey, this is where a majority of the deer movement and deer sign is. It's not up on on this area. So I don't even need to worry about this area. Let's just drop down and then we'll go into this area. So, and then your access lines, um, your access routes become more clear and of what you should actually do. And it's just, it, it almost goes into autopilot from there.
1: Yeah. I love that you made that point, dude. And I, I can draw another real life anecdote recently with the uh, um, what you do know and what you don't know or what you do see and what you don't see are are equally important absolutely yeah because and now especially especially with trail cameras, what you don't get on trail cameras is almost just as important as what you do get on trail cameras.
0: 100 percent hundred percent. So that gear
1: I shot in Wisconsin on the last day of September this year during that corn chopping debacle, um, I hunted that spot because I knew it was a good spot. Now we had one trail camera in that staging area. And the reason I hung that trail camera where I did this year, it's a, it's a covert wireless camera. Um, We hung wireless cameras in all the spots that, uh, you know, we didn't want to have to go into ever again throughout the season, unless we were going to hunt. This was one of those spots. And we used our SD cams for easy access stuff that we could just, you know, either drive up to with the truck or get with low impact. So put that camera in there. And I did it because um, the stand that I killed out of last year in that timber, for some reason, my dumb ass wanted to move that stand. And it's like the fisherman who starts catching a bunch of stuff and then still changes his lure. Like, why would you do that? I, I killed out of it. Why would I move the stand? Well, I just had it in my head that there was a better spot for it. That's where I put that trail camera. Well, what I learned throughout August and September, because I killed that deer the last day of September, was there were hardly any deer going by those going using those trails that I put the camera on. Right. But I knew deer were using that timber. And it's it's a small enough piece that Let's just say if you had two stands in there and you could hunt both of them on any given wind, um, you pretty much have a a 50-50 shot of being able to shoot a deer in there on on any given evening. A deer, not necessarily a mature buck, but deer, it's small enough that there's a bunch of deer, they travel through there somewhere every day. Well, I learned that even though it looked like there were some good trails there and I thought it would be a better spot for the wind, we just weren't getting anything on camera. And so I still went and hunted it. I, I still went in and hunted that stand that night. And thankfully I had not moved it because it was exactly where I needed it to be. Even though, you know, somebody, somebody who wasn't really thinking about the big picture would be like, Oh, I'm not getting any pictures on that camera. Well, okay. Then just don't go hunt by that camera. Cause that camera can see a, a very small field of view yeah, um, compared to what else is going on. And sure enough, when I walked in there, it was torn up in those woods. There was a fresh scrape and it was just very clear that there was a lot of activity, but none of that activity just was going right by the camera. So I, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta take a hard look at the information you're getting. And, um, you know, cameras are tricky because you hang them cause you want to see stuff on them, but just realize that what you don't see is just as important.
0: Yeah. Well, at the same time you can take that trail camera picture and you can, um, upload it right to Hunt Stand, you, or you can add it into the the settings or whatever. Like I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not using the correct terminology here, but uh, you can you can save that trail camera picture and be able to pull it up and take a look at it, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people run multiple different brands and models of cameras. It becomes a cluster with with our trail camera management system. You keep all those images that are meaningful to you, which are usually, you know, 2% of all the images you get that you actually want to keep because you want to, you're going to keep track of a deer or whatever. Um, so with like with, with the cell cams, for instance, I get those images sent to my phone. They go right into the app for that particular camera. I just download them into my phone and then I, uh, I drag them into the hunt stand trail camera management and it just allows me to keep very good organization of all my right. images from all my specific trail cameras. Um, you can mark the trail camera locations on the map. And then again, if your date and time stamp are correct, um, because it's associated with, with where you have that pin saved for your trail camera, every time you drop an image in, it'll tell you the conditional data
0: from when that image was captured. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a no brainer. Right. So, um, You know, in in hopes of keeping this uh, this podcast somewhat uh, short, uh, you know, because people are driving to their stands or, you know, leaving, you know, keeping it between uh, uh, the for the drive time here. Is there anything else that you would recommend as far as the functionality of digital mapping and hunt stand is concerned that we should be focusing on right now that either helps us now or helps us later?
1: Well, we, we covered the mapping, which is, is pretty obvious to just try to get a, a visualization. Uh, like I've said on the last podcast with you, I, I really spend a lot of time visualizing success and trying to just go through my head, how is this likely to play out? And a lot of the times I'll do that by looking at a map and analyzing the movements and analyzing the setup and all that. So we covered the mapping. We covered the the wind map with our hunt zone wind map, which I'm checking nonstop, before hunts, during hunts, after hunts. Yeah. Uh, We just talked about the trail camera management and we talked about logging your sightings. So we covered a lot of stuff. um, But I guess uh, maybe something else to consider would be um, obviously with weather it's, it plays a big impact on, uh, on how we hunt, where we hunt. And frankly, you know, when we hunt, and some of us just don't like to sit out in crappy weather, and that's fine. I mean, yeah. you. Some of us will hunt whenever we have, whenever we can, and try to choose the best spot for those those conditions. But like, I'm not excited about going and sitting out in the rain tonight. But um, I feel like I need to be out there because I I think deer are moving. So I'm gonna throw my rain gear on. But one thing we did introduce recently in Hunt Stand was we added uh, we added multiple weather layers, so we don't just have the 72 hour. Forecast and five-day forecast and current forecast anymore. We've actually got radar, precipitation, snow accumulation, temperature. Uh, We've even got uh, active wildfires, uh, uh, wildfire outlook, and then also a a drought monitor, which was super applicable this year for uh, you know most of the country. I think a lot of guys got to places for out-of-state hunts and we're pretty disappointed to, to realize that they were hunting in a, a wasteland because it was so freaking
0: dry in a yeah. lot of spots yeah but yeah uh, definitely um well i tell you what man uh really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and school us a little bit and, and share some knowledge about uh you know how to how to be aware of all the functionality uh during the season uh good luck hopefully you slay in the next couple uh weeks and uh uh, keep me posted man
1: Thanks Dan likewise yeah keep continue your uh your momentum with that South Dakota deer
0: Absolutely And there you have it huge shout out uh to Mr. Josh Dalkey for uh hopping on and chatting with us today huge shout out to all of the partners of the podcast, we're talking about Ozonics, Lone Wolf, Exodus, Excalibur Crossbows, Wasp Broadheads, Vortex Optics, and Hunt Stand. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. You'll be happy you did. And uh, again, be safe out there. Hunt your balls off. Hunt your balls off. This is the time to do it. No shortcuts, right? Oh, I don't want to do it. I'm tired. Fuck that. Get out there. Go do it. All right, so uh, make it happen. Slay the beast, honor the beast, be safe. Send the good vibes out and you will get the good vibes in and we'll talk to you next time.